What is, what is it like right now as a vice president for NASCAR diversity and inclusion? What is your role? What is your primary responsibility doing on the day to day? Yeah, at a, very succinctly, it's to make sure that uh, NASCAR as a company, as a sport and as an industry, right, are building a, a diverse and inclusive environment and culture that allows diversity and inclusiveness to thrive, right? It, it's twofold. Like you can build a, a diverse culture, but not be inclusive. You can have a diverse and inclusive culture, but if it's not thriving, right, if it's not woven into the fabric and, and value and DNA of the company, it's not going to work. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud of, 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 of NASCAR and what we've been able to accomplish in 2020 is that we are, you know, we're not there yet, you know, completely, but we are certainly, you know, a lot further down the path of making sure that it's in the culture and that uh, of the company, of the industry, of the sport, and that, you know, we as a league are going to, you know, we want to be on par with the NBA as far as that's concerned. And having that be woven into the fabric of who we are as a sport and as an industry. And so we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of minds to change, uh, you know, as, as that, as far as that goes, but we'll do it. And we're, we're looking forward to it. We know we've got to do the work. We know we've got to, you know, uh, build and repair. And, and in some cases, you know, just start the process of introducing people to the sport and we're willing to do it. We're excited. My name is Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to my masterclass. I have a PhD in education from West Virginia University. I have a master's in sport management and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts. I even have an undergraduate degree in sociology from William Patterson University. And currently, I'm the global scholar practitioner at HBCU, Florida Memorial University. But I'll also work for three of the largest sports brands in the world, Reebok, Champ Sports, and Foot Action. But I can't go anywhere without my Jordan 1s. Join me and my guests as we explore their rise to the top through adversity and challenges. It's time to help you find a hero in you. Welcome to my masterclass. Good day, everyone. My name is Dr. Mark Williams. I'm the host of the Dr. Mark Esports Masterclass Podcast on the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network. A big shout out to our partners, Sia and Aaron at in with Innovation Media Enterprises and our great sound engineer, AJ. I'm so happy for you. AJ just finished his degree and he's doing some big things. But today we've got a very special guest, uh, a good friend. Uh, Brandon Thompson is the Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion at NASCAR. But before we get started, I introduce you to him. I was uh, coming over here in an Uber, and uh, the gentleman that was driving me asked me a question. He said, uh, what kind of educator are you? I, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I, I really would like to, to talk to young people about their history. And I'm thinking, well, what do you mean about their history? He's, he's African-American, and he said that, you know, a lot of young black kids don't know their history. They don't know this. And he's making lots of assumptions, right? And I'm like, I hear you, and I, I know what you, where you're trying to go. But I think it's important to listen to people. It's more important to listen than, than to talk. The more you listen, the more you get a chance to learn about people, where they come from. You don't know where anybody's come from. You don't know their experiences. You don't know what they're about. And the reason why I titled this show called The Masterclass is because I really wanted to educate people and empower people and inspire people based on the things that I've learned in my life and my career. I've been so blessed to have been able to attend a historically black college, to attend predominantly white schools, also teach at an Ivy League school, also work at community colleges. I've been to 122 countries and 49 out of the 50 states. So I've seen a lot. And so this is just my perspective. But at the same time, someone else's perspective might be different from mine. But if we talk together amongst each other, no matter what your race, gender, or class is, guess what? Now you have the ability to touch lives and listen to people if you listen. And that's what I want to do here. I want to educate, inspire, and empower. And one of the things that the, the stigma that we have as people, every person, uh, is that we, 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 we think we know something about something or someone until someone tells you something differently because that's only your perspective. And what I know about NASCAR growing up, it was not a sport that that was not necessarily not embraced in my house, but because it was a sport, I watched it. I wanted to know. Are there things that I need to know about NASCAR or want to know? Absolutely. And a lot of times I grew up in a predominantly white community. And so when I grew up, you know, I was always curious and fascinated by things that I didn't know about. 
And then when we were growing up, you didn't see black quarterbacks, right? And when you saw one, we che- we cheered for the black quarterback because we never saw it before, right? When I watch, we watch Family Feud. I mean, this is a, this is a joke with all my white friends. Uh, they'll they'll say, "What do you think about Family Feud?" I said, "You know, when when you're black and you see a black family on Family Feud, you cheer for the black family." <laughs> Growing up, only because we didn't see a lot of black people on TV. I grew up in the '80s. We just didn't see it. And the Cosby Show, a different world, maybe, and and a few shows here and there. But you really saw that. And so for us, for me as a black person, my job is to to know it, to, to get the knowledge that I've learned from different things. My job is to, to, to take what I learned and educate people, but also take things that I don't know. So I didn't know a lot about NASCAR. I know about the names. I know Richard Petty. I know names like that growing up, but I didn't really know everything about uh, NASCAR and racing. I know about other traditional sports like football, basketball, baseball. But when it came to squash or it came to a uh, high and and things of that nature, those kind of sports or cricket, I was oblivious to that. But today we have someone that is going to educate and is going to school us and uh, give us a better perspective about NASCAR. I guess and he just happens to be African-American and he is the vice president of diversity and inclusion at NASCAR. My dear friend, Brandon Thompson. What's up, brother? How are you? What's going on, everybody? Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. To, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited to talk to you because there's so many stigmas that that people white and black and other cultures have on NASCAR. And uh, as I see a, a, an African-American male that works for NASCAR and he's been there and we're going to get into this about his background, who went to a historically black college. Both of his parents attended HBCUs and he's at NASCAR and he's loving it and he's been there for a long time. But before we start talking about his background and his his, his it's just his experiences at NASCAR. I just like to just like to talk to him a little bit about his background and how, how he grew up because it's so important to understand about your foundation. And does that play a role in your future job? Does it play a role in your in your your love life? Does it play a role in where you live moving forward? And uh, as I just explained, you 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 your mom and dad, your dad, your your mom is from uh Chicago, your 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 dad's from Nashville, and uh, Let's talk about them. What kind of influence did your mom and dad have on you when you were growing up? Yeah, well, a huge influence. I mean, you know, both of my parents, you know, are basically amongst the first in their in their family lineage to be able to go to to an actual college. On my mom's side, my grandmother was able to go to a, a trade school, so she was a, a CNA, a, a nursing assistant, uh, and that sort of uh, pushed her to be to to go into nursing. My dad. You know, again, it was the was the second oldest in his family, and you know, was the first really to to be able to go off to to school and get a higher education. So that's a little bit about you know about their backgrounds, and obviously that had had an immense effect and, and influence over my life. Uh, my dad being a, a lifelong educator, and my you know my mom, you know, pretty normal people, you know, growing up middle class, not you know, didn't didn't necessarily have it have it the worst, but didn't have it the best. And I think that, you know, honestly, I, 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 as I look back and reflect on that, I think it was probably the best case scenario because I was able to see kind of both sides. You know, um, my dad grew up in and around the city and it was very important to him to make sure that I had that that same background and some of that same experience, even though we lived just outside the city. And so my mom the same way. And so it was just uh, it was good because, you know, my mom grew up uh, basically on a, on a farm. My grandfather on, on my mom's side of the family was a family farmer and. So I, again, I just I feel like it, as far as that's concerned, I had the the best possible scenarios because I have a, a great appreciation for you know wide open space as well as you know tall city landscapes and so and everything in between. So, so let me ask you a question. Okay, you said you <laughs> that you, the farm. So did did, what, what, did you get a chance to learn how to do anything with the animal, like the milk a cow? What what did you do when you went to the farm, man? I did. So uh, there were a few mornings when I went out with my grandfather and slopped hogs and you know, fed chickens and did all that kind of stuff. You know, I look back on that. I didn't do it a lot, but did do it some and, and certainly saw him doing it. I mean, I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, going to my grandmother's house. There was a slot bucket for the pigs, you know, in the kitchen that was kept out. My grandfather would take it out the next morning to be able to go in and, and feed the and feed the pigs. So, yeah, I saw a lot and it was a, a great experience. Did, did, were you scared? Were you afraid of the pigs? Did they like, you know, come after you? And you're like, ah, the pigs are coming. Or what was that like? Yeah, you know, oddly enough, I wasn't. I think it was. I probably wasn't. I didn't know enough about it to be scared of the pigs. And I was in there with my grandfather, and you know, he 
he had a he had a way, you know, he called the pigs, moves the pigs and tell them to get get out of the way or whatever the case was. So I get, you know, I felt safe being with him. So I just want to remind everyone you're listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass podcast on the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network, powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. We're talking to Brandon Thompson, the vice president of diversity and inclusion at NASCAR. We're just talking to Brandon about slapping pigs <laughs> and talking to the pigs and hanging out <laughs> with the pigs on his grandparents' farm. And so it's interesting about your dad and your mom. Your dad went to HBCU, Tennessee State. Your mom to Middle Tennessee State. Is that where they met in college? They they actually met in Murfreesboro at a at a party, oddly enough. So my dad's a couple years older than my mom, and they were down there. I think at a skating rink or something, as I as I recall. But uh, yeah, so it was it was kind of a you know a city a city boy and a country girl kind of you know meeting up at at a college skating rink party or something something like that. Okay, so we talked about you going on the farm, and uh, you, you know, did did you were you were you an ice with your roller skate? Did you roller skate a lot growing up? Because your parents did that. They met there. Did, did you? Did they pass that that down, that down to you as well? Yeah, no, I, I'm not sure how much either of them were actually skating. Um, <laughs> I certainly, you know, I, and I I do not know how to roller skate or ice skate, inline skate, any type of skate. But you know, I hung out at the skating ring too. But I was not on the floor doing a lot of a lot of skating. I was uh, usually on the outskirts playing playing arcade games or or something like that. You was talking to the honey little, little girl. You know, you come I mean, on. Yeah, that that too. That too. Okay, you got to keep it real <laughs> on here because you know we gotta we want to educate and inspire. But we're like, but come on, you know when you was 14, 13 years old, you know you, what you was doing. Because back in the day, young people, we didn't have this thing called the cell phone. We had the rotary phone. See, the rotary phone, you know, you got that thing, the round joint, you know, so they got to go Google that. They don't even know what a rotary phone is. And you have maybe one or two of them in your house. So you had to share with your family. And if you're trying to talk to a girl or a boy, you had to go in the bathroom and sneak in high sometime because your mom and dad, you want them to hear what you're talking about late at night. Uh, but during the daytime, they might even listen to the other line and see what you're talking about. That's what we had to deal with growing up. Okay, y'all got the cell phones, the iPhones. You know, out the womb, y'all born, y'all got an iPhone. The doctor says, okay, you're born, boom, here's an iPhone. So, uh, I mean, technology has changed so much, man. I mean, so when you were in high school, what was it like for you? Did you, did you play sports? Like, what was your social life like when you were in high school? Yeah, I did. I, I, I've been playing sports all my life. Oddly enough, my mom just sent me a picture a couple of days ago of me playing uh, T-ball when I was like five. So I started playing T-ball at five, football at six, uh, basketball, I think, at eight. And I uh, really played basketball and football. I, I quickly put T-ball down. I decided after I got hit in the, in the face with a ball once, I was like, if I'm going to get hit in the face, I want a helmet to protect me. Oh, so wow. I put I put baseball down pretty quick. T-ball, I never even made it to baseball, but Football and basketball were my, were my sports and, and did play those through high school. You know, I was a role player, mm -hmm. <laughs> a special teams guy. I, you know, wasn't a, wasn't a starter, but was able to get, you know, get a little bit of burn and, and, and contribute, you know, here and there. So, and but that was that was also a good lesson for me because I did want to continue my, you know, my athletic endeavors going into college, but quickly found out that that was an entire undertaking, even at the Division II level, you know, going into Clark Atlanta. Went to the coach's office and got the workout book for the summer. And I was like, this is as big as any textbook I'll see. So I decided just to stick to the books and I'll, I'll play intramurals and, and continue to contribute and be a role player in that way. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I understand with you about baseball. I mean, I played basketball and ran track um, when I was about eight. I was remember the wiffle ball and the, the, the plastic yellow bat. So, I, this, yep. <laughs> so we were kids and we had the yellow bat and it had a hole in the, in the, in the, in the cork of the, of the bat. So a friend of ours put a stick in there to make the ball go further. And I was playing catcher. Yep. I don't know why I was playing catcher, but I was playing catcher <laughs> and the guy swung, hit me in the head, 13 stitches right here. That was the end of my baseball career. No more, <laughs> no more, no more of that. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, so you went to Clark Atlanta, HBCU, right next to uh, Morehouse and Spellman. And uh, what was that like for you? I know you didn't play football, but in college, but you played, you, you did it in high school. But when you got to college, you said, let me focus on the books. What was it about Clark Atlanta that you, that why you chose Clark Atlanta. And also, how much of a role did the Cosby show in a different world play? Because I mean, that when I, you and I went to college, I mean, that's what, that was, those were the shows and they kind of got you excited about going to an HBCU. Is that, is that, was that, was that, was that a contributing factor or what was a contributing factor for you to go to Clark Atlanta? A few factors. The Cosby show, a different world, living single, Martin, all those shows back in the day all did a, a wonderful job of just showcasing and highlighting HBCUs through, 
you know, through the gear that they wore. You know, it's funny now looking back on some of the Instagram <laughs> posts where you can see, you know, Queen Latifah on on a living single, you know, with a Clark Atlanta shirt on or whatever the case is. Obviously, it seems like in every other episode of the Cosby show, you know, Cliff Huxtable had on some type of HBCU paraphernalia from everything from the, the, the big ones and the most recognized names and Howard to even some of the smaller schools, you know, with great history like Meharry and Fisk, right? So that was always, uh, always great to see and, uh, and was a huge contributing factor. The other one, quite frankly, is just, you know, the sights and sounds and the experience that is an HBCU classic football game. And so seeing that both of my parents, uh, my mom went to, went to nursing school at Tennessee State. So uh, Tennessee State was, was ingrained in my family from, again, on both sides. My uncle on my dad's side was actually a drum major there for, for a spell. And so uh, Tennessee State growing up in Nashville was an absolute staple. And so going down and being able to travel to the Atlanta Classic and watching Tennessee State play Florida A&M there in Atlanta is really what made me fall in love with Atlanta uh, specifically. And so, you know, before I really knew what it meant uh, and what I was saying, I, you know, I can remember being 12 or 13 years old saying, I want to go to college in Atlanta, not, you know, not in particular in HBCU. I didn't really know what that meant until I got down there and got old enough to actually start touring and visiting colleges and was able to put two and two together that, oh, this HBCU thing is what these were the sweaters and the shirts that these people were wearing on these, you know, on these TV shows growing up. And then to find out that, oh, by the way, a different world was shot basically in and around Spelman in the AUC in Clark Atlanta, obviously. And so some of those same buildings, you know, that basically sealed the deal for me. And if someone's not, if someone's listening right now and we, we use the term to Florida A&M, if people are learning about football or basketball. It's also the acronym is what FAMU. So people know what that is. The Atlanta Classic is, you know, there's a number of classic games that are big in HBCU. You got the Florida Classic between Bethune-Cookman and Florida A&M FAMU. You had the Bayou Classic with Southern and Grambling. You know, so there's a number of classic games that are really big and really that resonate with us. And one of the biggest things that uh, that people will learn is where in the movie Drumline with Nick Cannon was is the, ball- the bands. That's a big deal. I think people think, hey, I go to Notre Dame, I go to this school, it ain't nothing like a black college band going to the, no one cares about the game, they care about the bands. Uh, tell everybody about that experience going to a black college or going to a black college football game. Why people should go to a black college football game and at least experience that? I, mean, I could go on, we, I could take the rest of the time talking about that, so I'll try to be as brief as I can while being as effective as I can. I would just say that it's sort of a universal symbol. You know, you see the band doing this, that you know what's getting ready to come next, some big tubas and big horns playing, you know, neck, as they call it, or talking out the side of your neck, which is the you know the formal name. But, yeah, man, I mean, I can remember to this day there was a, a tuba player at Tennessee State. His name was Big Red. I always remember Big Red. I don't, you know, I'm, I think Big Red was probably working at a full-time job and still playing in the band at Tennessee State. <laughs> like, because uh, I, I swear Big Red was in the, you know, he played tuba at Tennessee State's band. It had to be for six, eight years. I don't know. I'm, I'm making it up probably. But I like it. It felt like forever. But you're absolutely right. I can remember going, whether it was uh, Hell Stadium, the whole down there at Tennessee State, or even when they moved over to uh, to the Titans Stadium to play their home games, you know, breaking out with my best friend. And we would go over there and just sit by the band. It's like, you know, we ditch our parents at the gate. Thanks for paying for the ticket to get in. We're going over here by the band and the Majorettes. So that's what we used to do. And it is. It's a huge thing, the fifth quarter. And you just, you know, all of the different synchronizations. And then the last thing I'll say is just looking back and you not understanding how much that had an influence on the music that you listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I can remember hearing Earth, Wind and Fire and talking out the side of your neck and some of these other things that were being played by these bands. And then now to go back and look today and listen today at the influence that they had and how and how, how the quality of the music and why those bands were choosing to play those songs because the instrumentation was uh, was so deep. And so, I, I, like I said, I could talk about that all day, but uh, yeah, a, a, a huge, if you haven't been to an HBCU game, definitely go and don't, don't leave. Don't make the mistake of leaving when the game's over. The fifth quarter is, is what it's all about. Absolutely. And, and one of the other things we talked about is you mentioned a different, everyone knows what a Cosby show is, but a lot of people never really paid attention to a different world. Everyone knew I mean, more of a universal thing with the Cosby show, but a different world was a spinoff. The, the daughter, Lisa Bonet's character, uh, she yep. went to the school called Hillman, which is a, was really Spelman yep. College. 
but Spelman's yeah. all girls' school. It's in Atlanta, so you got Spelman College is all all women. You have Morehouse, all men, and you have Clark Atlanta that that uh, Brandon attended. Uh, but the the show was important to me because the first year that it came out was the first year that I was in college. So I kind of went to college with them, so to speak. And I remember on Thursday nights at eight o'clock, we'd watch a different watch the Cosby show, A Different World. And then uh, yep. Cheers came on and everybody would leave. I stayed and watched Cheers too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they were like, oh, we ain't watching that. I watched Cheers. But my favorite character on the show was Mr. Gaines. I love Mr. Gaines. And then I became really good well, friends with Charnel Brown who uh, was played Kimberly Reese, but Mr. Gaines like, Oh my goodness. Oh, well, Dwayne Wayne. I mean, I love that cat. I love his voice. I love the sound effects. I mean, you know, how Mr. Gaines, but you know how he got down. Absolutely. Yeah. Mr. Gaines at the pit. Yeah. He, you know, always had some, he had long stories and good food, but always, you know, every now and then he sneak, which I think is a, is a very appropriate character because I think a lot of times in real life, but also on the show, I think what he represented is, you write the guy off, right? Because mm-hmm. oh, that's just Mr. Gaines. And he don't know much. He just, you know, he just works at a restaurant or whatever the case is. But every now and then he drop a nugget on you. And that's I found that to be so true throughout my life and career, right? That a lot of times these people who who feel like they, you know, maybe the lower the lower end of society or the the social socioeconomic spectrum or whatever, those are people who give the best advice a lot of times. And I think that was also true for Mr. Gaines watching the show. So Shout out to the show, and shout, you know it's on uh, it's on Amazon Prime. I know so to any of the the, the younger folks, the the younger millennials or Gen Z, go back and watch that show because I think it's a it's a great cultural landmark in terms of time, but also just I think it it does a lot and speaks a lot to the culture and how we were able to get to the point where we are now. And you see a little bit of the Cosby Show, a little bit of uh, a different world, a little bit of living single. Uh, a little bit of Martin in today's shows, but mm-hmm. all of those shows, to your point earlier, harken back to the Cosby show in a different world for a lot of the cultural inferences and things like that that go on. And that's, you know, that that was, those were the, those were the OGs. Oh yeah. And the funny thing about it is most people, they're like, well, why is he talking about this? Well, it has a lot to do with the culture. And, and then when, and the reason why we talk about these shows that had an influence on us, the same way we talk about video games and the way we talk about the things we do in our, our, our free time and and one of the things is is the culture you know is it's, it's the clothes it's the it's the attitude it's it's all those things and, and the different world also touched on a lot of sensitive issues like hiv and aids they touched on the racism part when Dwayne and Dwayne and ron went to went to that football game and they and some, someone spray painted spray painted the n-word on the car to uh, charnel brown dealing with the part of being light-skinned dark-skinned we talked about the part where where what's the young lady's name Jada Pickett's a character. She played part yeah. when her father was incarcerated. They dealt with a lot of issues on that show that still resonate Real today. Great. And uh, they talked about the Rodney King uh, situation back in 92. And then the biggest, my favorite episode of all time, and I don't think this will ever happen. It could happen, but I hope not. You know how when, uh, when, <laughs> when the pastor said, does anybody have anything to say? To not unite these characters, to make them married, and Dwayne Wade interrupted the wedding. Baby, baby, please, baby, baby, please, please. And he married Whitley. I'm like, who does that? Yeah, no, for sure. That it's a goat again, a goat moment. But you talk about those and how just real society was woven into that show. You know, I think back when they, when when Dwayne Wayne's friend went off to the war, oh, right? yes. uh, in Iraq, Desert Storm. They talked about that. But even, you know, some of the things about, you know, people having to work through school, work their way through school and, and the real things that occur, you know, to people while they're in college. Right. Like Whitley having to go out on her own and, you know, her dad cut her off from the credit cards and her having to, you know, become an adult, a real life adult, stop living off of her parents or. You know, they, they just a, a myriad of things that were woven into that show. You're absolutely right. And I think it was it was masterfully done for sure. And to your point about why we, we could spend a lot of time talking about them, talking about this is because in terms of the culture and what the culture is even today, absolutely has its roots in and around, you know, shows like that for sure. Right. And I think that as we talk about your career and your journey in college, as far as choosing a major, that happens a lot. Well, a lot of people, we focus in on our parents want us to do this. One to major in, in marketing, our major in history, our major, uh, go to school and become a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer. Because those are careers that, Parents are is safe for them because that's what they know. And what I find fascinating as an educator now is that I find myself uh, telling parents, you know, 
let your let your child find their way because not all not all kids are the same. And you've got to treat kids, young your young people differently, different from their their siblings. Everybody, all of them are individuals. And yep. even though you're going down this path, you think you're going on this path of doing this, you may change. And I remember you you were talking, you were you were doing physical therapy at one time, right? That's what you thought you were going to do until you did the Summer Bridge STEM program. Uh, tell us about how that how that happened. Yeah, so I trying out for uh, the basketball team my sophomore year, had a knee injury, ended up having to get surgery. So that, you know, that ended basketball for that particular season. And of course, after that, you know, comes the physical therapy. And so I thought, you know, like this is a pretty cool job. Like it's inside, you still get to kind of be around sports a little bit and, you know, helping people get back and whatever. Like it's, it seems, you know, I didn't think it was easy per se, right? But I was like, it's, it seems copacetic. Like it's not, you know, not super high stress. It's kind of cool, whatever. So I wanted to pursue that as a career. And like you said, this, the academic preseason program was the name of the program. And I probably two weeks in, I was like, yeah, this is this is not it for me. Didn't realize all the science that would have to go into that. Not a huge science person. You know, I respect the sciences mm -hmm. uh, and all that kind of. But that's not, you know, not my ministry. So right. had to had to hit the reset button for my first my first uh, year in college, my entire freshman year. I was undecided. Um, on what that was and, you know, was taking general classes, which you have to get, which is fine, you know, was encouraged by a lot of counselors and things like that on campus to be able to, you know, hey, take your time. You don't start taking major classes until your sophomore year. No need to rush. Take some time to think about it. What do you like? What do you enjoy? And and that led me to, uh, to business administration uh, and marketing in particular. The reason I, you know, went with marketing, I, I was also into PR a little bit, kind of thought that might have been an interesting track, but which I think was good advice from, from some folks there on campus was like, look, marketing can easily blend over into PR. So if you want to do that, have the business background. And if you want to go further into PR uh, as you advance through your career, then marketing can do that because there are certainly some, uh, some crossover and some skills that cross over in between the two, but the business background is something, you know, that, that's always good to have. And so as I got into my marketing classes, I, I fell in love with marketing. And, and realize that, I, you know, that that's something, this is something I, I really feel like that I could do. And then, you know, we'll get into this, I'm sure at some point, but I've not basically used my marketing <laughs> degree <laughs> until until this year, right. really in my professional career. So, but, you know, all things happen for a reason. I think, I know I'm not alone in that. I think there's some stat out there where like 60% of people don't end up going into the, the you know, their major of study in, in their career fields. Certainly not right out of college, but maybe ever. So all good. Happy things ended up the way they did, and uh, you know, moving forward, it, 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 it didn't turn out too bad. Right. So you told us the summer two thousand three, you did this Nash us uh, your internship at the Nash Super Super Speedway. What was that like, and how did that even happen? Yeah, came across a, a packet of being nosy, which I was always taught not to do um, <laughs> on someone's desk. But saw that. Wait, hold on, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You you was <laughs> on somebody's desk going through that stuff. Well, that what you did. <laughs> I, well, not going through their stuff. It was it was laying out. Okay, was I looking on their desk? Yes, I was. <laughs> he was being was nosy, y'all. <laughs> I was being nosy. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. I know. Um, and, and you know, thank God that I was because out of the corner of this packet, I saw something about Nashville. I, I stayed on campus the summer between my freshman and sophomore years in Atlanta, which was a great experience as well. But I, I did want to go back home for that summer. And also, again, you know, I, w I was in my major at that time. And part of the requirement, you know, for graduation was to was to secure an internship. And so needed an internship, number one, wanted to go home, number two. Saw something about internship in Nashville on the same paper at the same time. Snatched that. Lo and behold, it was the NASCAR diversity internship program. So mm -hmm. pursued that wholeheartedly, not knowing anything about NASCAR or what that would lead to. I just knew that I wanted to go home. I needed an internship. Great. This is a great place to start. Not scientific at all. <laughs> and yeah, again, you know, end up turning. It was a great experience there, you know, at, at Nashville was able to. I did work in the promotions and marketing department. Got up to speed very quickly. The folks there were very nurturing and allowed me to, 
you know, really get in. It was a small staff, which I think was great. So I was I was forced into being a part of the team, even though I was not full time. I was giving uh, given some full time responsibilities, you know, as I as I showed uh, and was able to prove, you know, that I was able to do the work and handle what they were throwing at me. So a lot of good experience. Like I said, it really felt like I was part of the team. there. So something I'll always be appreciative, not only to the staff that was there at the time, but also obviously to, to, to NASCAR to be able to, you know, really build into the program. It was, it was part of the DNA and values of the program and the commitment of the program was that, Hey, certainly is going to come with its share of like, Hey, go make a copy for this, but that's not going to be the, the, the breadth of the internship, right? Like let's, let's make sure that these students are getting an experience and actually learning about the sport and learning about careers that lie within the sport and the folks who were at the speedway at the time did a really good job uh, of doing that. Well, let's, 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 let's take it back for a second. See a lot of people, he's talking about this great internship program that he had. Obviously he was prepared. He was majoring in marketing. He had the business acumen to, to know what to say and what to do. At the same time, he, he saw something on a desk of, of someone's desk, <laughs> and that's how he got it. I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but I, but again, you never know how you're going to get an opportunity. But you almost didn't get the opportunity because you were uh, hanging out with your friends during a break or whatever at the beach house, and you never you always and you said to me before you always got to be ready. So you when you're out with your friends and you're doing things with your friends and having a good time, and someone calls you and says, "Hey, I want to hire you." You got to always be ready and you got to you got to switch gears and you went into another room, even though your friends were having fun over here, you went to another room to to do your interview. And it didn't matter because you're in school to get your degree, not just to have fun and party. But that was another lesson you learned in terms of always being ready and being prepared. So did you feel you obviously you felt you were prepared no matter what you were doing? You was prepared uh, for that interview. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think I look back on that. <clears throat> And Dr. Mark, and, you know, could a better decision have been made? Maybe not to go. Yeah, maybe, you know, but, I, you know, to your point about the balance, right? Like, I think college is about learning and exploring and not just the academics part of it, but the social aspect uh, as well and the preparedness and how you handle certain situations. And so I did know that the in- interview for the internship was coming up on a particular day while we would be away on spring break. But it was spring break and I was going to continue to go. And I just knew that, hey, come Friday or whatever day um, the particular the, the interview was, I'm going to have to steal away. Right. And so did that, was able to find a quiet place uh, in the house. And luckily, you know, and this is one of the things I look back on amongst our, my closest group of college friends is that everyone respected that. And I think the other lesson is that is making sure that you're attaching yourself to like minded people. And, and I was always and continue to be grateful for that circle of friends who are still, you know, some of my best friends to this day is that we're going to have a good time, but we're going to be about the business as well. You know, I can remember literally being in clubs, you know, citing things for accounting class, you know, because we had an exam coming up in a couple of days. And, you know, that was a fun thing to do for us. But, you know, it, it, specifically talking about this internship. You know, it was a lot of respect amongst my friends. Like, you know, no one was being funny and knocking on the door or doing anything like that. It was like, hey, I got I got an interview for that. I got to knock this out. 20, 25 minutes. It was what it was. And, it's, you know, it's back. Let's, let's go back out and back <laughs> to having a good time. But, you know, you prepare and set your day around that just to make sure that you're that you're not missing or blowing an opportunity. And also choosing the right friends because you could have had some knucklehead friends uh, or associates at the time. And they could have acted silly and, and opened the door and, and, and the people in NASCAR have been like, well, you're not going to hire this guy. One of the things that I loved about what you said was that that this is one of the best internship programs you could possibly be in. It was a, t- a paid 10 weeks program. It was an amazing vetting process. What was different about that internship that you think that is different from a lot of college internships, would you say, especially in sports? Yeah, I think the number one, the fact that it's, it's paid and you know that going in. I'm not saying that NASCAR has the only paid internship program, but it's, you know, that being paid at an internship is not, is not a guarantee by any stretch. And, you know, while the NASCAR diversity internship is set up for students to be paid, you know, I I would certainly encourage people not to let that stand in the way. If you have to volunteer at an internship to be able to get where you want to be, absolutely go do that. But yeah, that was, it was one of the advantages of this program. It continues to be, it's a paid 10 week internship program. As I mentioned, part of the, the 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 literal thread and DNA of the program is that it's going to be meaningful and that, you know, there's not going to be a lot of sitting around and just 
listening and observing, but you're going to do. Uh, we ask the people who host interns to be able to, you know, have a couple of designated projects or a couple of things for sure that are carved out specifically for this intern. And our internship partners do a great job of, of doing that and have for 20 years. And that's the other thing that we'll, you know, I want to highlight here is that through all the things and social justice and NASCAR banning the Confederate flag, which I know we'll talk about a little bit, you know, later on before we get out of here, but the NASCAR internship program has been around for 20 years. The, the drive for diversity program, which we'll talk about has been around for, you know, 15, 16 years. And so these programs aren't new, you know, you know, and, and that's part of what we have to do is make sure that the word gets out about these programs. And we've had over 400 students come through the NASCAR diversity internship program in its 20 year history. So something yeah. we're really proud about. Let me ask you. So when you were, when you were amongst your friends at HBCU, you know, obviously NASCAR is not a sport that a lot of the kids are watching probably more like basketball, football, baseball, maybe did, did your friends, how did your friends react to you working for NASCAR and, and, and did you ever get any negative reaction and how did you handle that? Or how did, how did people normally react when they said you, you know, you're working with NASCAR, you have your summer internship two years in a row, you're doing NASCAR. How, how, what was that like for you? It wasn't, I never got any negative uh, feedback. You did get some funny looks like you're doing what, like what, like, like, NASCAR or like, how does, how does that work? You know, but to be honest, that fueled my fire, man. It, it like, I've always kind of been a little bit, there's a part of me that's always been a little bit of a contrarian, like do something different. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not, and don't always float with the mainstream and do everything everybody else is doing. And NASCAR was kind of a way for me to, you know, quite frankly, brand myself on campus, you know, mm -hmm. whether it was for faculty, staff, but even students. People knew me as the guy who interned at NASCAR, you know, and that, I was OK with that um, because, you know, again, NASCAR did a good job of once they realized that, like, hey, here's the, there's a batch of students here. And I think that's why representation matters is because the second time around, we were able to actually, you know, people were putting, you know, the, the NASCAR folks put flyers up. They literally came to Clark Atlanta's campus to put flyers up on campus about the internship program. A lot of people applied and other students were able to be a part of that, you know, as a result. So representation matters in that sense. So not, not mm -hmm. about negativity, but certainly some strange looks because it was outside of the norm. Right. Yeah. So you, what, what the thing about it is you've had several opportunities at NASCAR from working in a serious op, uh, operations department in Daytona beach to the diversity affairs department, which prepared you for your current role right now. You know, what is what is it like right now as a vice president of for NASCAR diversity and inclusion? What is your role? What is your primary responsibility doing on the day to day? Yeah, the, the, very succinctly, it's to make sure that uh, NASCAR as a company, as a sport and as an industry, right, are building a, a diverse and inclusive environment and culture that allows diversity and inclusiveness to thrive. Right. It, it's twofold. Like you can build a. A diverse culture, but not be inclusive. You can have a diverse and inclusive culture, but if it's not thriving, right, if it's not woven into the fabric and, and value and DNA of the company, it's not going to work. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud of, 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 of NASCAR and what we've been able to accomplish in 2020 is that we are, you know, we're not there yet, you know, completely, but we are certainly, you know, a lot further down the path of making sure that it's in the culture hmm. and that uh, of the company, of the industry, of the sport, and that, you know, we as a league are going to, you know, we want to be on par with the NBA as far as that's concerned. And then having that be woven into the fabric of who we are as a sport and as an industry. And so we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of minds to change, uh, you know, as, as that, as far as that goes. But we'll do it. And we're we're looking forward to it. We know we've got to do the work. We know we've got to, you know, uh, build and repair. And, and in some cases, you know, just start the process of introducing people to the sport. And we're willing to do it. We're excited about it. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited because we you and I have been talking about you coming to Florida Memorial University and doing a master class with our students. And then also I've got to represent the uh, HBCU Esports Alliance. This is our, you know, our mm -hmm. league, of course. Where this is what we did our first homecoming last week. Oh my God, the numbers were off the charts, man. We had, we averaged well over 100,000 viewers our first time out. And then when Soldier Boy came out, we were up to close to 800,000 plus that watched it. It was insane. So we're looking forward to you adding your to NASCAR to, to what we're doing. But one of the things that we want to talk about, the elephant in the room, but there's no elephants here. We, we just straight up here. We want to talk about Bubba Wallace, man. 
what was you know that was something that that really touched a nerve with America. One because it brought to light uh, some of the ugly truths that happened in America, the the Confederate flag and what it means to some people. There was uh, people. Bubba Wallace is, is African American, and people were looking at him and and thinking that he 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 created this problem. But what I loved the most was that NASCAR stuck behind him and they also owned that, hey, we have a problem here, that there is there is racism. And this was a noose. How, how did you uh, collectively as NASCAR come to the decision to not only acknowledge that, hey, that is a noose and and that we have some work to do? And as a as a as a person of color, there's two parts to it. That one part, how did you how did you all come to come together to cre- say this is what our narrative is going to be? And as a person of color, did you feel did, did any of your colleagues ask you your opinion about maybe the this just the aftermath or just the thoughts about how people are perceiving uh, this 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 issue? Yeah, well, I think in terms of you know folks coming together, you know from 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 a decision making standpoint at, at the executive level we've got great leadership. And so there was never any question about any of that, like, you know, how to react or what to do. It was very swift. It was very definitive. Conversations really not all that lengthy. Like it's not like we were in, you know, I think back to, you know, the iconic photo of the situation room with Barack Obama when they, you know, went to, went after bin Laden or whatever the case is. Right. And there's this intense photo with like, Hillary sitting there with just like stern look on her face and they were probably <laughs> piled in that room for, you know, hours. Right. It wasn't that on this issue. It was, hey, here's what we found. There's a lot of anger, quite frankly, and not just from, you know, the black people on the, <laughs> on the phone or, or in the room, just period. Because, you know, one of the things, again, that I, I, I continue to come back to about NASCAR as an industry and as a sport, you're not going to find anything that's more tight knit than that as a community. The NASCAR community in and of itself is very tight knit, very family oriented. And at that point, one of our family members was under attack. It didn't matter. If he was black, white, gay, straight, fat, skinny, doesn't, you know, it didn't matter. Somebody has come after one of our own. And so uh, you saw that with the, with the entire industry rallying behind Bubba and pushing his car to the front of the, to the front of the field there at Talladega. But yeah, and, and, I, and you know, as far as the other piece, Dr. Mark, look, I think it's, listen, it, people were, it was, you know, the social media was all in an uproar. Like, was it a noose? Was it a garage pool? Was it this? Was it that? <laughs> listen, a new, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And it was a duck. You know, it, <laughs> it is what it is. There was yeah. no, and, and we, it's not something that we're proud of. And I don't, I don't mean in any way to make light of that. Right. But like, some things are what they are. And that was what it was. Mm. And there's nothing at all that we're proud of. But what it did show uh, is that we have more work to do. And, you know, Steve Phelps, our president, was very, again, swift and definitive that because of this, the entire industry is going to undergo diversity and sensitivity training before the green flag flies at the Daytona 500 in 2021. Mm. And we're well on our way to doing that. We've already had drivers go through training. There'll be more to come on that. You know, our, our, in terms of our corporate training from, from an employee standpoint, that, that happens every year anyway. But crew members and, and team owners and all that are going to go through these trainings, you know, moving forward in the, you know, in the month of January before we kick off the season. And this is a, a direct a direct reflection of that. And this was a direct reaction to that is that we need to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to be better as a sport and as an industry, as Steve Phelps, again, mentioned, you know, back in the first week of June of 2020. And so, again, we know that we've got work to do. We're not shying away from that. We don't have our heads buried in the sand. But the other thing is that we're going to do the work and we will get better and we will be better. So, you know, you've had this amazing career in NASCAR. What would you say to a, a young, young black person that's in college or in high school and they're, they're curious about NASCAR? Uh, because again, you know, it's not something that you see every day of a person in your position at a at a at a in a corporate office at a at a predominantly white sport for the most part. What would you say to them, and how would you encourage them to to to, to take a look at NASCAR as an opportunity for them? I, I think you said it best. Listen, I think think outside the box, regardless of what it is. And so, if you're looking to get into sports and entertainment, certainly consider NASCAR. 
because it's it's a great industry. It's a supportive industry. We're working on building that diverse and inclusive culture. You know, like I said, where people can thrive and be themselves, be, you know, be uh, 100% of themselves at work and in the workplace and at the racetrack in the stands, whether you're watching and, and consuming the sport from an entertainment standpoint or pursuing it as a career. We want you here if you like, if you enjoy fast cars and excitement and door-to-door racing and all the stuff that comes along with what NASCAR is as a sport, right? We want you. And, you know, but it, for folks who are looking to do other things in business and music and, you know, art, whatever, I would just encourage folks to think outside the box and not, you know, not, again, not necessarily float with the mainstream because there's all these nooks and crannies of places where you can go to find opportunities you know, where we uh, may or may not be represented. And I think it's important. Representation, like I said, matters in, in all aspects of life. So that's across all industries. That's across all races and creeds and identities and, you know, sexuality, all that stuff. It, it matters. And in in your voice is important to, to be heard in those in these rooms. And, and like I said, across all industries. So before we go, tell everybody about we talked, we're talking about esports and people are, you know, people always talk about Fortnite, Counter Strike, and uh, 2K, Madden, all these games. It, but you, you don't hear about NASCAR. Tell everybody about the NASCAR that, that we're looking to incorporate with esports. Tell us about the game, what it's about, so that people have a better understanding. Because a, a lot, again, a lot of, anyone can do the race car games. I think that's, to me, that's the safest game you can play. That the people will be like, well, how do you do it? You know how to drive a car, <laughs> you know. And so what? what t- so people people have the, this this perception about unless you're a racing fan, what what kind of games does NASCAR have when it comes to esports? So I kind of break this down into two tiers. So I think the 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 widest opportunity to your point is we have NASCAR Heat Five, which is out now. It's available on uh, Xbox and PlayStation platforms. So certainly would it would encourage folks to get that in their hands, play play that. Like you said, there's a career mode, just like in any other, the 2K or Madden or whatever the case is, you can create uh, your own driver, you know, uh, work the path up the ladder to, you know, to being a cup champion in NASCAR in the same way that you can go win a championship in the stick and ball sports. So that that's the that's the first, and I would say the the opportunity that most people are going to be able to get, but then there's iRacing and iRacing has taken a, spe- you know, it's, it's, it's been a part of the NASCAR and motorsports fabric now for who probably the better part of 10 years. They've done a great job at continuing to de- develop that software and platform to incorporate different racetracks and, you know, even uh, down to the physics and the aerodynamics of the cars, you know, tires will, will wear out in certain racetracks more than the others. If you abuse the tire, get in a corner too, you know, too hard or, you know, all those types of, you know, that racing jargon, which I won't go down the path of that too much, but it's a very realistic uh, gameplay. And, and, you know, and it is, it's a, it's an upgrade, I would say, I guess, in terms of the entry point from NASCAR heat, just because, you know, a lot of folks have the triple screens and the wheel and pedal sets and the full on simulators and these simulators can go out. And that's one of the cool things about us. You talk about the uh, VR and I, you know, all these other types of virtual reality and that, you know, people have for these different games and gameplay, you know, folks have simulators that are full motion and they, you know, you go into the corner at a racetrack and the whole simulator will tilt and sort of give you that, you know, what that feels like, the sensation of having the G's and, and, you know, putting the car on the racetrack. And so we were able to actually get back as NASCAR was the first sport back virtually, you know, back in, I think, April or so when we when we you know, were able to get into that and show iRacing uh, I on broadcast television with, with Fox. You know, I think six out of the top 10, six, maybe even seven of the top 10 top rated Esports viewing events are NASCAR events, uh, mm-hmm. and those are the events that we were able to go through early in, in quarantine and the pandemic of this year, something we're very proud of. But then, you know, we're able to actually be the first back in real life as well in terms of major sports and the first back with fans. And so all those things uh, sort of in iRacing and esports was at the very core of that. And so we're excited to go down this path full bore. And again, there's a lot of opportunity in and amongst HBCUs and uh, obviously, there's a great, great appreciation for HBCUs on this side, especially with me, along with the other folks on our team. Uh, we've got three of the four people who work in our department are HBCU graduates. So mm. we've got uh, two Clark Atlanta grads and, and a Howard University grad. So we, we, we're something we're, we're proud of. And there's a lot of other folks 
in and around the industry and, and other uh, folks at NASCAR as well who come from that same background. So, and we have a call today too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and 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 so everybody knows I'm not putting him on the spot. He sent me a pic. He, he shouldn't have did this to me. He sent me a picture of this dope <laughs> simulator. And I'm like, hey, man, when are we going to get it? So like, it's just complicated. And it's like, you know how Facebook <laughs> says you have, are you in a relationship? You say it's complicated. But anyway, I'm looking forward to the simulator because it looks, it looks amazing. But I'm really looking forward to the master classes next semester. I mean, there's so much we learned today and there's so much. Uh, would you be able to come back and talk some more in the future about the things that you're doing at NASCAR, some of the initiatives you have? Because, I mean, you and I, when we talked, we didn't really, you know, we didn't, we didn't make jokes and stuff like that the first time. But and you come on this show, we're going we gonna to get down and have some fun. Did you have fun today? Absolutely. It was a great time. Always a good time talking about the culture and, and what we've got going on. Like I said, man, I, two of the things I'm most passionate about in life is, you know, the culture and NASCAR as a sport and as an industry. And so the it, it literally my dream. I, I've tweeted this a long time ago. If you scroll back through my through my history, you've seen it's like anytime I can say HBCU and NASCAR at the same time in the same sentence, it's a great day for me. And so a full hour of it, I you know can't get enough. Of, can't can't think of a better way to close out you know to close out the year. And also the show. And as I said before, it's called the Dr. Mark Masterclass for a reason because we schooling you. Those of you who don't go to an HBCU, you got your ear full of day about HBCUs. And those of you who did go to HBCUs, <laughs> you got a chance to reminisce about Different World, the Cosby Show, and all that good stuff that's going on. And just the jargon and just what, just the spirit and energy. Because you know, you know what we're talking about when you say eight o'clock and eight thirty. You know, on NBC, on NBC, you know what we're talking about. You know, what we're talking Absolutely. about. We're talking about the Ballad of Bands. You know, you know all that stuff. So the good thing is that we want to always to we always want to to educate motivate and inspire and we got we got schooled today by brandon thompson brandon thompson vice president of diversity of inclusion of nascar brother thank you so much for coming in closing uh, you've been listening to dr mark's masterclass podcast yes the dr mark masterclass podcast on each esports future eye podcast network powered by innovation media enterprises sia aaron amazing people always doing a great job i see Thank you so much. She, we smiled. You know, she complimented us today. We smiled. We probably need to get a, a toothpaste endorsement deal as much as we were smiling today. And I got to thank my man, AJ, I would say on the wheels of steel, but he's not on the wheels of steel. He's not a DJ, but he he does the audio. It makes it sound dope. He makes it sound crisp and clear. But before we go, I want to remind people, remind people always to be yourself and never let anybody tell you anything differently. And remember, you cannot control other people. You can control yourself. You can control what you think, what you do, and what you say. You'll say it again. What you think, what you do, and what you say, and that's it. And we're out of here. We look forward to another great episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass Podcast. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I pray you enjoyed yourself today. I had a good time. I don't know about you, but this podcast is part of the Esports Future Ride Podcast Network and is produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment or a review. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.